This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Fungicide Resistance Extension Network. Hello and welcome to this in-depth series looking at fungicide resistance management. And today, we're going to delve into how to achieve that by spraying strategically. G'day, I'm Drew Radford, and to help pull this topic apart, I'm joined in the Afrin studio by Nick Paul from Field Applied Research Australia, or known by most as Far Australia. Nick, thanks for your time. No worries, Drew. Thanks very much for the opportunity to speak in the series. Nick, so far in the series, we've looked at a range of non-chemical controls that can help reduce disease pressure on cropping systems, and these include a range of things from crop rotation to planting non-susceptible varieties to weather, to the green bridge. To be clear though, this is not about stopping the use or the availability of fungicides, is it? No, absolutely not, Drew. Um, In fact, 2020 was an excellent season to illustrate the value of fungicides in our cropping systems we now have. A truly amazing array of fungicides in our armory that we didn't have 10 years ago. And so it's not about stopping using them. It's about trying to employ them strategically and only when they're necessary, because these materials are vulnerable to us overusing them effectively. Nick, I imagine most growers would agree, though, that there are times where they simply have to apply a fungicide to protect their crops. But in a well-managed system, what are those times? Well, I think we need to set out to try and look and apply our fungicides with some kind of strategy in mind. You've had three episodes so far in this series of podcasts where you've looked at trying to reduce disease so that effectively we can use these fungicides judiciously when we do need to use them. They're in effect the last line of defence, Drew, But one of the guiding principles in thinking about how to use them is we actually apply fungicides to make money. And quite often we forget that and think it's just about disease control. But the reason we apply them is to make money. So when we're thinking about a strategy, we really need to think about have we got the disease pressure to warrant using these materials? Are the conditions conducive for the disease? Is that disease problematic in our region? Is our variety susceptible to the disease that's prevalent? But also importantly, it's not just about disease, it's about saying, is this crop at a development stage where spraying strategically is going to give me a return on my investment? Return on investment, talking money is something that resonates, I'm sure, with every primary producer. Is this about spraying at the first sign of disease? And and why is that important? And how does this actually relate then to spraying only when necessary? Yeah, really good question. And it is, it can be a point of confusion. So we need to actually importantly qualify this one, Drew. Uh, Firstly, it is about controlling disease before it becomes established. We know that a crop that's full of disease is full of fungal pathogen. And we know that amongst that population, there are naturally mutations, resistant individuals that sit in that population. So by actually trying to keep the population from going out of control, 
what we actually do is keep the population low. So in other words, it's a numbers game. However, if we just say it's about spraying at the first sign of disease, very often we can see that very early in the season when actually that disease may be there, but the leaves that it's infecting aren't really important in terms of giving us an economic and viable return. So it's more about spraying at the first sign of disease on those leaves that actually matter. And in most circumstances, there are a few exceptions. The leaves that matter tend to be the top four leaves in the canopy before the head comes out. And those leaves emerge in the spring at that stem elongation stage. So when we're thinking about um, spraying or spraying strategically, yes, we do need to spray at the first sign of the disease, but on the leaves that matter is the important qualifier because that's what will give us a return. You described that very well, but why is that better than spraying proactively, say every six weeks, with the notion of just keeping the pathogen on the back foot, so to speak? I think the first thing is that when you adopt this attitude of spray on site with no regard to whether the conditions are conducive to disease or no respect of what growth stage the crop's at, what tends to happen is that effectively we get into a cycle of repeat spraying. Most fungicide labels would have three or four weeks persistency before a repeat spray is required. So envisage yourself in a season with good prospects like some regions experienced in 2020. You see a little bit of disease, the crops at the tillering stage, you go out, you're out there with a herbicide, you say, let's put a fungicide in. You're not very far into the season. The variety actually might not have justified the expenditure because it was quite a lot more resistant. And all of a sudden, you've hooked yourself into a fungicide dependency, particularly in those seasons that are good, like 2020. So what do you do after you've put that tiller in spray on? You spray again at three or four weeks. And before you know it, actually you're three fungicides in and you still haven't got to the important growth stages to protect what we call the money leaves, those top three or four leaves in the canopy that actually produce the carbohydrate that gives you your grain fill. So the problem with this aspect of just spraying at first sight without any regard to the conditions or the development stage is that in a good season where it carries on with spring rainfall and therefore disease pressure, you can actually find yourself in with some people having applied five fungicides in this last year. And you say, well, hang on a minute, that's kept the disease very low. It may well have. But what you've inadvertently done is you've exposed that fungal population to what we call selection pressure. In other words, you've cleaned out all of the susceptible members of that population. They're susceptible to the fungicide or sensitive to the fungicide, as we describe it. And you've just given complete free reign to the more resistant 
members of that population. And so it's thinking about when we spray and trying to spray strategically is also about trying to say we don't necessarily have to keep on spraying because not only may that not be economic, what it also gives us is more of a problem with our pathogens that are out there that may overcome these fungicides. So Nick, if you're applying at the first sign of disease on the important leaves that generate yield, how much fungicide then should you apply? Because sometimes there's different rates listed on the labels, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely right, Drew. And it's important to recognise that the manufacturers have put a lot of work into trying to get the right information on that label. And it's got safety margins in it to take account of all of the different conditions that the grower or the advisor might be faced with. But what we also have to remember is that different diseases that you might encounter in your crops actually may be controlled to greater or lesser extents by that fungicide. In other words, a number of fungicides have a label rate range. And so some diseases may be more sensitive to the fungicide than others and therefore require a lower end of the label rate range, whereas others may be more difficult to control and require a higher rate. And usually your advisor will be pretty familiar with the different strengths and weaknesses of the fungicide you're using. But it's also important if you're not taking due notice of that to actually recognise that you need to be able to identify these diseases properly in the field. Let's not just spray because it seems like a good thing to do or we're going through the paddock. Let's actually know that we're spraying for something because of what I was saying earlier that, broadly speaking, we'll end up with multiple fungicide applications in the paddock and we know that adds to increased selection pressure and therefore selects out any resistant individuals we've got. I think the last thing there, Drew, that's important for growers to think about is that we often hear that if you don't use the highest rate on the label, for example, with herbicides, we're actually encouraging resistance. And that's where it's important to point out that fungicide resistance is different to herbicide resistance. Due to fungal biology, and I won't go into the details of that, a higher label rates don't contribute to helping us with necessarily combating fungicide resistance. And therefore, it's probably more appropriate to think of what's the appropriate dose of fungicides that we should use, bearing in mind those label rates range, for the disease pressure we've got, it might be a moderately susceptible variety or a disease that that uh, fungicide is well adapted controlling and therefore you look at the lower end of the rate range, but you don't need to worry that that's somehow encouraging fungicide resistance. It's different to herbicide resistance. I think another thing I should mention, Drew, is that all fungicide labels take into account crop safety when they're developed. So we don't need to go above 
any of those rates or wouldn't want to go above any of those rates because that would threaten our access to markets. And so it's an important thing to recognise that the label rate range is there not only for disease control, but also for crop safety and access to our markets. Nick, what if you've got resistance already? How then can you apply fungicides strategically? Well, I think the first is always to make sure that it is actually what you think it is. So if you've not had it confirmed and you think that a fungicide's not really working in the way it should, firstly, get hold of your agronomist, uh, your local advisor, or even if you got access to your local plant pathologist, get them involved with your crop. But first of all, make sure that the potential reasons for the failure are actually not just an application issue. So that's the first thing. If you can really confirm that that's not the case, it's not an application issue, you applied it in bad weather or you had problems with wrong nozzle settings or whatever, if you're then still concerned, that's when you really need to get some samples from that crop tested. If you're working in a paddock scenario, as some will be now with particular diseases in particular regions, where you know you've got reduced sensitivity or resistance has already developed, then it's really important to try and look at minimising the use of the mode of action that the fungicide belongs to. That's not always possible and it's important to remember that sometimes resistance affects one disease but not another. And so you may still use the fungicide for control of other diseases, but try generally to take account and minimise the use of that active, particularly if you're targeting the disease that you know has become resistant to that fungicide. Nick, in the next podcast, we'll look specifically at rotating chemistries to help offset that effect. But briefly, wouldn't using different fungicides prevent the build-up of resistant strains? Absolutely right. In fact, it's one of the best measures we have when we get down to our last line of defence is to try and mix and rotate our active ingredients wherever we can. The constraint, however, is that unlike herbicides that growers and advisors are all too familiar with, we don't actually have that many fungicide modes of action. We have the QOIs or the strobilurins, the SDHIs and the DMIs. Effectively, globally, that's the case too. So we have basically three modes of action that we depend upon. And therefore, for us, we look at trying to rotate, we look at trying to mix that chemistry, but we also have to be aware that within those three modes of action, some are more likely for resistance to build up against them than others. And so we also have to be mindful of trying to reduce the number of applications of the products that we apply, whether they're mixed or whether they're rotated, trying to reduce the number of times we use them can be important. 
so drew for example in tasmania which is probably on the front line for resistance the growers and advisors there are very often involved with applying three fungicides through the course of their growing season even targeting their money leaves they've still got to apply three sprays so in those three sprays what they're trying to do they have no alternative but to use probably three dmis but what we should be trying to do is to minimize the chemistry that's more likely for resistance to develop to so for example the strobilurins the qois try and only apply one in that three spray program the same for the sdhis we can apply more according to the label but we know that every shot out of the gun pushes the population potentially to be in more resistant than what it was the last time we sprayed that population. So, Nick, in terms of spraying conditions, how's the Tasmanian situation translate into practical guidance on fungicide use? The thing about spraying to conditions is that in Tasmania, you have an environment where it's much wetter for much longer periods of the growing season. And in some case, irrigation plays a part in that as well. But in effect, we come back to where we start, which is spraying to the conditions is about saying, how conducive is my environment to disease? And a Tasmanian environment is very conducive and therefore in a number of seasons in wheat might require three sprays. Conversely, a Mali environment on the mainland is incredibly dry for much of the spring growing season. In fact, there's times when drier conditions, we might actually want a bit of disease because we know that that'll bring some rainfall for higher yields. But recognizing that drier environment is less conducive to disease means that we don't need to be spraying as often or as many. In fact, if we spray strategically, we may well find that there are seasons we don't need a fungicide at all or one at a minimum. So these environments in which we farm are so important with regards to this spraying to conditions. Nick, we've covered a lot of ground in this podcast. Are there any parting words that you'd like to leave primary producers with? Absolutely, Drew. Let's use all of the levers that have been highlighted in these podcasts to actually look after our fungicides. We've got great technology. We just need to make sure we use all of the levers we can, non-chemical, before we get to our fungicides. If we do that, then we'll keep our fungicides for that much longer and they truly are and truly can give some phenomenal economic returns, but only if our pathogens don't develop resistance to them. 
Nick, really wise and solid words to finish this podcast on. Remember, Afrin is there to answer questions and provide practical advice on managing fungicide use and limiting the risk of fungicide resistance in Australia. You can find out more about this on the Australian Fungicide Resistance Extension Network. Hop on the web and type in afren, A-F-R-E-N, dot com dot A-U. For the moment, though, Nick Paul from Field Applied Research Australia, otherwise known as Far Australia, thank you for joining me in the Afrin studio. Thank you, Drew. It's a pleasure.